Welcome to the Inside the Eight podcast with your hosts, Jamie Monroe and Colleen McGarity. This podcast is dedicated to all things women's lacrosse. We will break down top games of the week, discuss coaching strategies, and lacrosse recruiting. We will even bring in some of the game's top coaches and players as special guests. And now, here are your hosts, Jamie and Colleen. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Inside the Eight podcast. I'm really fired up to be here with Colleen McGarity. Colleen, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Glad to be back, too. It's been a while. Um, I don't remember our last one. I think I might have done it solo without you. So good to be back with you on here, Jamie. (laughs) Great to be back on. And uh, really fired up to talk lacrosse, but we have to kick it off with how is baby Gavin? (laughs) Baby Gavin's great. Four weeks old as of two days ago, Um, just eating and sleeping and, you know, being a mom is tough. I have a very big appreciation for my mom now after doing this myself now. Awesome. All right. So what was his birthday? October 20th, October 30th, 30th. How big was he? Seven, 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 Mm -hmm. seven, seven, seven. Now he's probably about nine, nine, seven, hopefully 10 pounds. I'm trying to, you know, bulk him up a little bit. I think he's a lefty. So this is exciting. <laughs> awesome. Has yeah. he has he done anything? Like uh, he or? weirdly rolled over very early when we did some tummy time. Um, and he has been crawling during tummy time. So seems nice. to be athletic, which is great. Checking all the boxes in that category. But if he's not, that's great too. <laughs> but hoping for a good little athlete here. <laughs> Does he have the greatest little uh, sounds and smiles and gurgles? He does. He actually just started smiling really big this week, which was cool to see. And That's huge. Other than that, he just cries when he's tired and hungry or cold. One of those three things. And then he then he sleeps a lot. Awesome. Love it. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also really excited to announce to everybody that – you are coming on board with JM3 Sports and working with our coaches training program, helping to build up the content and work with coaches that we consult with, as well as the office hours and doing some work with our JM3 athletes. Um, and yeah. so, um, let's chat a little bit about that. Um, are you pretty fired up to get involved with the uh, coaches and the content? I am very excited. It's been a long time coming. Um, obviously, Jamie and I have been working together for a long time. Honestly, honestly, ever since we met back in Colorado, just doing things, you know, here and there together. But uh, excited to make it official and get going with the content. I myself have been using the content um, with Triple H and Penn Charter. So now I'm excited to, you know, dig down deep into it and, you know, master it and help others get into it just like I have. And especially work with the athletes that I've, you know, grown to know through your, you know, Delray training things and all that stuff. And now I get to know them on a more personal level, which is awesome. I knew we were going to get along well when we met um, after you did a little clinic in Denver for my daughter, Lucy, your former roommate. My roommate. Yeah. Ruby. Um, who coached with you last year and lived with you for the spring of 2022. Um, but I, I knew that we were going to get along well when we were sitting in there having a few beers and, um, talking lacrosse and you were like literally taking notes on the whole conversation <laughs> on your phone. I was like, I love this kid. I love this girl. And, uh, right? it's kind of been the same ever since, but, um, talk to me a little bit about sort of like where you're, 
philosophy has evolved and what you've yeah. learned, um, both from obviously through our interactions, but through your coaching and through everything. Um, I mean, yeah, from that moment, that was like my first coaching job when I first met you. Um, so obviously just was trying to like take it all in, learn from you, learn from Ann Elliott at Colorado. I learned from, you know, my alma mater at Northwestern and just trying to make my own philosophy. And, um, me and you have, you've kind of just all oh, you're, you know, the guru of content and videos and, you know, really knowledgeable of the game and just trying to take in every single thing you send me and putting it into who I'm coaching and what I'm doing. And you really just need to buy into those, you know, tiny little two man, three man concepts. And in the beginning, I would say I wasn't as bought in. I would just do it sometimes and go back to not the old ways of girls across, but just get it to your fast athletic girl, clear through and, and, you know, score and, easier goal to score in high school and grade school than it is at the next level. So I think what you're doing is helping create, creating high IQ, smart lacrosse players that are going to be better when the competition gets tougher. Um, so sometimes it still is easy to like just clear through and, and dodge from up top or clear through and dodge down the alley, but it's not creating the smartest lacrosse player out there. You're not actually seeing what the defense is doing and, if they're switching and if they're staying and I obviously really enjoy all your stuff because it relates to basketball all the time. And I'm a basketball family. So totally. my dad's a basketball coach. Uh, I thought I was gonna play basketball in college. Um, I, you know, enjoy watching basketball. All of my former teammates are either playing the WNBA or, or coaching in college. So um, wow. basketball just relates so much to the way lacrosse is growing and you're doing that. I kind of feel like everybody always has known that basketball and lacrosse are very, very similar. But I think now with the onset of more two-man games, particularly on-ball, I feel like in women's lacrosse, there was always a lot of off-ball picking. But but with the on-ball picking, I think people have been scared by it because it's like, I don't want to bring a double to the ball. But, but actually, that's kind of the whole point because mm -hmm. it makes it easier to get two-on-one. And if they double the ball – you can ease, you've got two on one. And, yeah. and the fact is, if it was that easy to double the ball, you know, everybody would do it, but it's not it, that easy. It makes me laugh actually to bring up because actually Hannah Nielsen, when we coached together at Colorado, when she had this funny line once when we were coaching on offense and she was like, you guys all think a double team comes to, comes to you and you get scared. And Hannah was like, when I have a double team come to me, I think great. And that's kind of what you're saying. Like right. you get the immediate double. Great. You created yep. offense in some way, shape or form. So instead of being scared of that and like, that's what we say to them. Like if you create a double, awesome. You did your job. Now let's make a great play. Yeah. And so much of the model has to do with the various analytics and stuff that's out there. Some in men's lacrosse, some in women's lacrosse, some in box lacrosse, but that two man game score at a, higher rate two-man games create more assisted shots and assisted shots score at a higher rate than unassisted shots um two-man game also creates more goals more shots with your stick to the middle mm -hmm. sticks to the middle score at a higher rate than sticks to the outside and and lastly when you have a two-man game if you have an isolation it's a one-on-one -on -one with six girls on the other on the other side if they slide it leaves five to guard six but if you have a two-man game, 
and they have to slide, it leaves four to guard five. And if you have a three-man game and they have to slide, it leaves three to guard four and so on and so forth. That is why yeah. the addition by subtraction concept opens up the field for more assisted shots. I would also say that like this type of offense and what you're getting into, the biggest thing for me was the shots to the middle of the net. You know what I mean? So like so many other offenses clear out a side and you dodge down the alley and you really take a poor shot. Your yeah. the angle is just bad and good goalies are going to save that. And I say that to my goalies, like you should save that shot. So why would I reversely set that up on offense? A clear down the alley, take that shot. So every single time I'm on defense, I'm like, Oh, our goalie should save those shots down the alley all the time. So why would I, contradict myself and set up a down the alley dodge so that's when i really started to buy into you know everything is just you know getting those high percentage looks to the middle um and just you know getting it off of a, an assisted pass is awesome just right it's it's better <laughs> it doesn't really mean that you're not dodging in this offense honestly it's, no it's a really higher level of dodging in my opinion it's more like basketball. you end up dodging at a great angle you know what i mean you end up dodging to the middle so when you do get the dodge and you do get that space um, I actually thought it was funny when we did uh, this offense very, um, well in the fall with my 2025 team, um, we kind of go up and down whether, and it's all, if the off ball side is actually moving, but when the off ball side was moving, the Dodgers were so open from yeah. the on ball side because they were so preoccupied. No one was ever sliding. So it did actually create equal as many, like, you know, quick little dodges and assisted shots but every shot was a high angle percentage shot. It wasn't, you know, down the alley into the outside or fading away or, you know, what you see a lot. Well, plus if you go to the wrong side, if you're a righty and you want to dodge the righty alley, I mean, it, if you can get straight down the pipe, you know, you'll score it. That, that can be a good shot. It's just that you're not really going to get that shot against good defenses because they're going to shift their body over it and shade your strong hand. And or send send a, send a slide that's going to kind of force you wider. Um, yeah, I mean, I tell my defense, don't just let them keep going. Right. Like, don't even you know. What I mean, so it's like, why take the shot when that's like what the defense wanted? Exactly. Yeah. It, it's also limiting too because when you get over to that righty alley, you could split to your left and take the middle and shoot lefty. But if you go to the other elbow on your natural side. You can split to your left and still get your right. You can go exactly. to, you can go either direction and get your right. Mm -hmm. That's a massive advantage when you think about being able to like get underneath your man to score yep. and, or go over the top of them. Um, plus, good, starting in the middle, like a lot of – I see so, so much in men's and women's across where people attack from the middle. It, you're easier to slide to also because you're closer to the – to the lefty side. And, and then when you get slid to, you're not in shooting range, but, but if you get over that elbow or even below it, I mean, ideally you'd be a little below that elbow and, and it's very hard to slide to you from the other side. Yep. And if you do get Let's slid to your in shooting range, you're in the middle, go into an apple. You know, so yep. it, it makes a pretty and big they, difference. I mean, these concepts are randomly hand you really simple. And that's Anything really what the cracked iPhone to, to an iPhone, iPhone 14 of the off plus. And you got 60 seconds of possession, which do? is shot selection and feed I'm selection. I'm going to stay as long as I can to get the iPhone 14. So if you were handed the iPhone two, three, four right away in the beginning, I bet you none of you are going to take that and be like, great. That was a great 
great opportunity to get the best iPhone. You're going to take as long as you can to get, you know, the best iPhone. And in middle school and high school sports, we don't have shot talks yet. So you can take an eternity. Um, and then wait. You can wait for someone to hand you an iPhone 14 plus. You can wait the whole game. Some people do. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. And that's how you win. I mean, it's a possession game. What's the quote? Uh, Win the draw and you rule the world. Yeah. Rule the world. Best defense is no defense. Yeah. And exactly right. Um, In the shot clock era with 60 seconds, you can get a pretty good iPhone. Mm -hmm. You know what's amazing too? I was looking at this laxreference.com. Really cool resource for high school and college coaches. And amazingly, everybody's offensive efficiency are better in the middle of the shot clock than in the beginning of the shot clock. Men's and women's lacrosse, universally, mm-hmm. unbelievable. Unbelievable. Look, you can go on it, laxreference.com, go check it out. And, and they've got sort of uh, efficiencies by possession through the time of the possession. Everybody thinks they want to play fast, play fast, play fast, play fast. Yeah. Let's just think about this. If, if your possession is worth – it has a value of about, let's just say, 0.4 of a goal. A good offense is going to score about 40% of the time. So your possession is actually has a value of 0.4. Mm-hmm. You went to the very end of the shot clock and you actually got <laughs> no shot off. The shot clock went off. It actually had a value because it was a value that your opponent didn't get. If you turn the ball over early in transition, it's 0.4 you're not getting and it's 0.4 they're getting. That turnover right. transition is actually massively impactful. And um, so therefore waiting for those great shots, it doesn't mean you're not going to try to score in transition. It just means that, believe it or not, people don't score at as high of a rate in transition as they think. And right. assume that we want to play fast, play fast, play fast. But actually, we know that to win a game, you got to grind it out. Right. And that's really what this principles-based offense is all about. But that's pretty counterintuitive that you would not score as high as high highly – uh, efficiency-wise, in the beginning of the shot clock is in the middle. Yeah, I mean, it would make sense, though, because, you know, it's clearly setting up for a rushed opportunity. And, like, I think that's something I've been focusing on with my girls is playing fast but not rush. So I think sometimes when I say, like, play fast or, like, move, they, like, think I need to make the first opportunity or make the first look where, you know, I want you to play fast and push the pace but not rush, like, and – work for a good opportunity and work for an iPhone 14 plus. Exactly. Is that where we're at? Think it's 12 plus. I, think we're- I don't know, but you got to take, you got to take a great shot. Cause you're going to get, you should get a great shot, mm-hmm. especially with no shot clock. Um, so these principles, there's like seven principles. I did a, I did a, a webinar on this recently and I'm, 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 I'm going to put this into the women's coaches training program, but the seven principles are possession, passing, Picking, deception, spacing, communication, and reads, coverage solutions. Um, and it's incredibly interesting. You can actually just stick to these principles, which are really the principles you would probably have in any offense. But it creates mm-hmm. so much dynamic opportunity for players to be creative. Um, yep. Talk to me a little bit about what you've seen from your players playing this way and the creativity that it allows in, in every way on ball, off ball, dodging, shooting, attacking. Yeah. I mean, obviously when things are going bad or when you're like down in a game, I like, sometimes I think coaches start to like re- reinvent the wheel or like 
oh, we got to change it up. But what I've done is like, I can go back to these principles and be like, no, we're just not doing this principle or you're not, we've lost these three principles. So keeping it simple. And we've talked in the fall, Jamie and I have given them tasks. Okay. Like we did not do a good job of becoming good passers this game. We all tried to feed. So, you know what I mean? Just giving them tasks of like, all right, for possession, like it was so much lower of time because we kept trying to feed the ball in the middle where if we pass the ball, we're going to have a better possession, you know, opportunity. You're going to have a longer possession um, and your passing is going to be better. So I think as a coach, I've tried to just simplify my view of like, I think sometimes when it goes bad, it's like, Oh, we got to change this, that, and this. It's no, it, you just got to go back to the basics of the principle-based offense. Like one of those principles was not being focused on, or one of those principles was replaced with something that's affecting everything else. So just simplifying it. And I think the girls need the simplicity um, or just the task um, girls and guys. Um, but I've noticed like when we've had bad games, we've really not focused on or not had a lot of those principles in our game. Right. Yeah. You know, jamming feeds, taking bad shots, not moving the ball. So one of the, one of the things that's really cool about this offense is in, in any offense, what you're trying to do is create advantages. And the advantages that you're trying to create would be like a two-on-one, like two offensive players against one defensive player. You get those a lot in transition. That's why people like transition. But there's another two-on-one that you can talk about, which is two defensive players on one offensive player which happens in all even situations. And then of course that does lead to the two on one that we just talked about. And then another, yet another advantage would be like a positional advantage. Uh, so let's say you were forcing me down to my weekend. I have a, a positional advantage in that direction, but it's, but it's kind of what you want to give me because you're taking your chances on my left, my weekend versus in your defense. And what happens with this offense, with all the picking actions is that not only is it easier to create advantages, but you can create a lot more of them. So what I mean by this is every single time the defense has to play a pick action, they have to cover it somehow, and they can either switch or stay. And if you can understand whether they're switching or staying, you can create a two-on-one. So for example, if they're switching and you slip the pick, there's a really good chance that that slip is going to be wide open. But then sometimes both defenders go with the slip and the, the picker gets wide and the dodger or cutter gets wide open. Um, if there is, if, if they try to push over the pick, which happens a lot, and you can bring them over the top of the pick because you get a step on them to the pick, then they're going to be trailing you. And then there's going to have to be, uh, the switch will step up, but it's not really a switch. It's actually a two-on-one because you have your man committed to going over that pick. And this happens on ball and off ball. So these advantages can be created at a higher rate than a one-on-one -on -one beating your man, drawing a double. But the most amazing thing is actually how many actions you can create in a short amount of time. So for example, if your righty side has three players on it, you can get two to three actions in five seconds easily. Let's just say two actions. Let's just say it's it's me, you, and Lucy on a side, and you up pick for me. I have the ball, and then I 
You cut, I throw it to Lucy, I pick down pick for her. That could happen easily in five seconds. That will happen easily in five seconds. And on the other side, on the lefty side, the exact same thing can be occurring. The middle player could down pick for the low player who, who could then up pick for the top player. And all of a sudden you've got four actions in five seconds. Now you think about 30 seconds, that's 24 actions in 30 seconds. Now, so then the whole game comes down to how high a rate can you create advantages on your actions? If you think about your typical dodging offense, how many dodges would you get in that same 30 seconds? I won one or two. Maybe three, you know, I mean, yeah. And, and, and you might get some one-on-one -on -one cutting advantages too. So maybe we're talking about five or six potential advantages off right. of maybe more, but, but not 24. And we're talking right. about, it's a lot easier for a defender to guard you one-on-one -on, -one on a cut than it is to have to communicate with a teammate on a particular coverage or of switch or stay. Right. So that's one of the amazing things. Then you mix in amazing ball movement where you swing the ball and you get it low and you spread the defense out. You add in deception where they don't really know what you're doing, where you stack actions. When you stack two actions on top of each other and you fake picks and you slip picks and you come back, it makes it so hard for the defense. Throw in, it naturally develops communication between players so i'll be like calling I'm, I'm stealing for you i'm stealing for you come over the top or jamie jamie i'm picking for you and all of a sudden your players start communicating on offense the same way you ask them to communicate on defense um it's just it's amazing from the perspective of effectiveness but it, i i would say it's like you you actually referenced earlier it just teaches them how to play and that's the most exciting yeah. part I think it really teaches them how to move off ball where forever I've been told I've been also doing it because it's the way I was coached just to move off ball, like move off ball. People would just move with no purpose though. They would just like cut into people or like maybe take a couple steps down or up. Now you're actually creating advantages and doing actions off ball. Like you're actually setting a pick. You're actually trying to read the defense off ball whether they switched or stayed and you're going to slip or land the pick with a purpose off ball where I think forever even I said it just like create space off ball like they would just like aimlessly move around and half the time they'd move around and get into the way of like their own teammate which I'm like hey you were moving good job but you actually didn't do it with a purpose to create an advantage to help get the better shot or you know, be an outlet or something like that. And if people were, and, and for the players that are pretty good at moving off the ball and did things with a purpose, it was primarily clear through, create yeah. clear space. Right. Or cut. Mm -hmm. So now what we're doing is we're doing, we're still going to be doing those things, but we're doing them in the context of playing together, which then just teaches you. There's There are inherent advantages in two-man game. They're just built in. For example, if you're guarding me, Colleen, I'm on the elbow, I'm a righty, and there's someone to come pick for me, you cannot guard me equally to the net and to the pick. No. Therefore, I, I can decide. always yeah. get a step on you in one direction or the other. Now, you mm -hmm. can say, yeah, I could always go left or right on you anyways, but 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 that angle is much different. This is like a really 90-degree difference of using this pick 
coming over the top of it or going underneath mm-hmm. and trying to get to the goal. And that can be true on ball and off ball. There's other inherent advantages too. If I, if you're guarding me and somebody sets a pick on your back, not, not, not a blind pick, but behind you, they, and, and you switch, you are not in position. They have right. position to the net on you. Or mm-hmm. let's say I'm going to set a pick and you're guarding me. And you have to think about maybe switching. It's very hard for you to switch and guard my slip. Yes. It gives me an inherent advantage that we can start learning how to utilize. And that is why these two-man games end up being so effective. Well, there's so much amazing stuff to talk about as it relates to the to the drills, which I think is probably, I would say, Colleen, has been one of the biggest things we've talked a lot about is how do you develop this stuff in so much of the coaching and development that we all grew up with is about is really relative to isolated skill development. And I Mm -hmm. think one of the things that I've really gotten into and shared with you that I think you're getting into also is the element of the importance of context that if you're not, you can't really practice two man game two on zero because what are you actually doing? It's, It's completely relative to the defense, just like practicing dodging against cones or skill development with no context of teammates and defensemen isn't really skill development. Think about this equation, the definition of skill, technique plus decision equals skill. How does that equation sort of relate to your evolving thoughts on how to develop your players? And I think it goes back to you hear a lot of times that, um, that girls might be like super fast or athletic in that drill or something like that. But then in the game, they didn't put together where what you're just talking about is helping that athlete put it together. They didn't put it together because they didn't read the defense. They didn't put it together because they didn't know the correct player advantage to take. They have the skill set to do it against no one or a cone, but they haven't been trained or in a, situation at a practice by a coach or setting to help put it to the next level and you see those athletes all the time that just like can't play with anyone else or have trouble which doesn't mean it's impossible it just might take some time and they've always just been faster or or stronger which is great once you can put it all together you're going to be amazing because then you can also beat the people off the dodge and you know make those plays happen and also become a great team player of reading defenses. Um, I mean, you you see in basketball that like, yes, people are fast, but when you're in that type setting, it doesn't matter as much. The hesitations and the deception is what matters the most in basketball. Like you, you know what I mean? If you aren't being deceptive and you aren't hesitating, you don't have the ability to show your speed. Right. You know what I mean? Like if you don't create the first advantage, then, you know, that's where the speed and athleticism comes into play while creating that, you know, ultimate athlete or ultimate lacrosse player that can become a great decision maker too. Totally. And the best players that you ever played with were the smartest players on both sides of the Mm -hmm. ball. Yeah. Well, what does that mean? That doesn't mean that they have the best exact technique on something and working on that technique, separating that technique from the decision 
is, is a mistake we've kind of all made and, and that I've really learned a lot from because I went through the same thing that you just said. I was like, why is it that I, the, I know these players can use all of these skills? I know they know how to do them. I've, I've seen them do it. I've watched them. They've done them in drills. They've done them on the wall. They've done them, but, but then they don't do them. Right. They don't use them. That was kind of how I went down the path with free play. Um, when I saw 3D about five or six years ago, I was proud of the work we did and I was coaching high school and I was like proud of the work I did, but, but I wasn't satisfied at all because I was like, why is it that these kids don't do it? So I just started getting into the free play and it was amazing to watch. And that's kind of how I got into this whole JM3 athlete thing, which I'm so fired up to have you on board with is, is getting, (laughs) is teaching these kids how to play through getting them to play at home and filming it. And then being able to have them understand what happened right. actually happened in that situation so that they can learn implicitly from the game, but also go back and see it. How much do you guys watch film at Penn Charter? We do. We do a fair amount. Um, probably two to three days, two days a week, you know, and like try and get more on us and then like one on a scout and see like what they're doing. But um, with their schedules, it's a lot for high school or more than my high school ever did um but yeah two to three days a week and then um try and you know film the small like you said like our attack settings and send it to my attack group so Mm -hmm. sometimes we're not necessarily watching it together you're sending clips or something at night like hey take a look at this action that we did today you guys didn't realize that we did it or you know i have just an attack group just so um can kind of send them some stuff and pass along a lot of stuff you send me during the day and yeah. to the girls, take a look at this look. Let's try and put it into action today. I'm excited for the winter time of Triple H. We're going to do all pickup in the gym at Penn Charter. So all January, all February will be all pickup games on Sundays. And I can film all of that. So then we can throw it on to our Triple H um, landing page with the, you know, what we use with the JM3 website. And they can go on there and we can start to take advantage of that as well. Without film, people don't actually know what you're talking about most of the time. Do you find mm-hmm. that? Yeah, they'll probably nod and say, okay, but not really understand. Or they think they understand. And then At least they, girls will nod and be like, yeah, I got it, got it. Got <laughs> but it. they don't. <laughs> well, and the other thing is, is I don't care whether you're a coach or a player. Until you watch the film, you don't actually know what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You can, no, think you're right. played, you can think somebody played great and you watch the film, you're like, ooh. Wasn't that good? Or you can think somebody played terribly and you watch the film and you're like, wow, she actually played pretty well. And yeah. the same thing happens in these pickup games. And that's why what's so interesting is you can say to, to, a, to a kid, hey, did you notice that what that defender did to pick off your pass? And they'd be right. like, yeah, I, I completely telegraphed my pass. That's why they picked it off. And that's, that's like a lesson. You can tell them that all day long and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But when they actually see the defender getting into position to pick the pass off before you even release it, you know, that right. you're just projecting what you're doing and it just gives these players an understanding or, or the concept, you know, the basic concepts of the game, the yeah. basic fundamentals of the game are more conceptual than they are skill, which is really back to this whole, you know, constraints led approach, um, <laughs> nonlinear pedagogy, which is like yeah. this big word for basically learning is nonlinear. It doesn't happen, you know, that or differential learning and all of these concepts that we're exploring that are so cool. 
um, that we're that we're trying to apply. I want to hear more about your pickup games, though. You got going with Triple H on Sundays. Yeah, so we'll start up right when we get in the gyms, and it'll be fun. The high school groups will all play together, and the middle school groups will all play together. We'll do it just like we kind of do in Delray, and I'll throw your sticks in, get you know four or five games going on each court, and you know winners go up, losers go down, make new teams. And then I was thinking after like talking to you a little bit, like making tasks of like each week. So, you know, we're going to work on seals one week or we'll work on, you know, different things that maybe they need more work on. Um, Or you get extra points, like kind of in the battleship, like we've talked about, like, Hey, if you can do these three things, you get a bonus three points or something to get them thinking a little bit more if they're not doing something that we want to see more of all kinds of constraints that create yeah. different adaptations, whether it be scoring systems or, or rules. Yep. Rules could be a shot clock. Uh, yeah, totally. Rules could be, you know, playing with smaller nets. Yeah. We have, we have all smaller nets. We purchased them last year. So we'll have all smaller nets in there. I think I have like six or seven. So we'll even have six or seven games going for each group. It'll be fun. Um, what do you like about the smaller nets? Obviously, it's been learning from you. It helps with shooting percentage. And just, you know, if you think about someone shooting, it's a giant net with as many reps as we're getting in a small-sided game. It's just not as realistic. So this really helps, you know, girls be able to put the ball around a goalie in a much tighter tighter frame, which hopefully when they get to the real thing, it should be easy. It, it kind of forces you to shoot the shots that we want. Right. You just won't score very many goals going down the side. It, it's 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 a constraint. That actually, the adaptation is you have to get to the middle. And it's, it's the main either. box. It's why people like box across. You become a better shooter, right? You can't take those shots and box across. You have oh, to get to the middle. Yeah. You have to get to the middle. You got to shoot deceptively. You have to shoot when they're not ready. You have to reach. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's it's the smaller nets are an, an incredible constraint. And box across just for everyone's. Knowledge. I don't have these stats for the women's side as much as the men's side. But Canadians have shot 20% better than Americans in Division I men's lacrosse for over 10 years. Think about that. They shot over 20% better. It's crazy. 13 of the top 20 goal scorers in the history of Division I men's lacrosse are Canadian and native box players. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And it's really because of that constraint. People think that the tight space is because of the boards and glass. But it's not. It's really because of the goal size. The goal size makes everything happen tighter. Right. When it happens tighter, it requires more passing. It requires yep. that you learn spacing. You have to keep the middle open or you'll never score. You have to get to the middle. It's easier to get to the middle off the ball than with the ball. Yeah. To create space, you can't just shove everybody over on the other side and dodge because they won't just give you the space. You actually have to bring players together to create space on your side. That's two-man game. Mm-hmm. And so it just actually naturally does it. Um, what are some of the other games that you play and constraints that you use? Um, so for basically, it's going to be a variation of sometimes we'll have like a three by game, a four by game, a five by game. Maybe we'll go an even game some days, like, you know what I mean? And not make it a man up opportunity. Um, sure. So I think honestly, we're just going to see how it goes in each week and be like, all right, this week, let's focus on this. I'll obviously use your expertise and be like, Hey, try this task um, and see how it goes. It'll probably be an eight week, all the Sundays in January and February of going through that. And then they'll start their high school season or they'll start their spring league. 
it'll be kind of cool to see the progression from January, February to when they get out on the field in March and see how it goes. Um, it could be a communication thing too. Like, Hey, you can't, your goal doesn't count if you don't communicate or, you know, getting specific people to communicate. I also love that the defenders get to play a little bit of offense too, and it helps their hands with tennis balls, um, makes them more confident. They love being involved in it. And so I make everyone kind of play everything. Yeah. And the communication actually, just like deception begins to happen naturally because when we try to teach communication, think about that. Everyone coaches always emphasize communication and might even practice communication, but communication is kind of like, it's thinking on your feet. You can't mm-hmm. just teach it. You actually have to like read the play and communicate at the same time. Yep. It's like, kind of like being funny. It's weird. In these small settings, you, you automatically start to communicate more. Like, I don't know know why as opposed to when they get into seven on seven they kind of just like stop but when you are in the 4v3 it's they naturally start to have this like banter and communication and then it's like contagious where hopefully you know doing this and practicing this all winter makes it you know easily go over to the seven on seven setting when we're in a full field game but i did notice that like when we do smaller drills they do communicate a little bit more because you kind of have to or someone takes the lead more naturally and then it's contagious we're in I seven think, on seven. I think everyone else kind of like waits for someone. Yeah. But I, I think so much of it has to do with like, it just requires, it, it, it requires that they're, so the way human beings operate is they perceive their surroundings and they act. That's how we do everything. It's how we drive. It's how we go to the grocery store. It's how we go to a party. It's how we use humor. We we just recognize our surroundings and, 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 and we make an, a decision to act. And that's how we, that's how we play defense. It's how we play offense. It's, it's how we read a pick. It's, it's how we use deception. It's how we communicate. It's, it's everything. And the reason why players, these, these girls and boys, but your girls have no problem talking. No, <laughs> they'll too talk much. Too long. But when they get into a situation, they don't, it's because they're, they're trying, they don't know what to say because they're, or they're nervous about saying it and they're perceiving their surroundings. And when they get into these free play games, they're not thinking about anything except playing. And they eventually just learn how to say, Colleen, pick left, switch. Yeah. They just like literally start doing it because it's it's part of what you have to do to, to be able to win. When I and hear it's the, people, the way the games are too, you know, they're fast paced and they're like not light, but like they're they're it's free play, it's fun, it's pickup. You yeah, know what fun. I mean? There's, so it's you, like, there's nothing to be afraid of. You just talk, yeah. you just be yourself. You're not looking over your shoulder, cringing if if someone's going to yell at you or looking for that, that compliment, mm-hmm. because, because you're literally just playing. I hear a lot of communication in, in men's and women's lacrosse and women's lacrosse. You'll hear them say, ball, 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 ball. That's not communication. That's right. like points. The communication would be like, Colleen, pick coming left, switch this. Colleen, stay, say, push over it. Colleen, send her right. my got your help. Colleen, you can slide. These are the types of defensive communications or offensively. Colleen, I'm sealing for you. Use it. Colleen, pick for me, slip it. And, and these are the right. things that will start working together. The whole battleship concept for everyone that wondering what she was talking about. It's a way of using a free play sort of checklist where you say, in order to win the game, you have to do these three actions. Kind of like sinking a battleship in the game. Battleship, it's taking the concept mm-hmm. of the board game to a game, to a free play game. So it's like, hey, Colleen, we haven't done our repick yet. We have to do a repick. Colleen, get a repick. Colleen, slip it. Come back. And then the communication is fostered through these games. 
Um, but it has to kind of happen naturally. Um, and, and it's naturally is through this free play environment. Um, we've talked a lot about offense, but talk to me a little bit about your defensive philosophies and how they've grown over the years, how you like to play, how you like to teach your kids to play. Is it man? Yeah. Is, it zone, is it both? Is it pressure? How do you like to, how do you like to do it? Um, so yeah, good question. I honestly teach it two different ways for my high school team. And then for my club team, because club, we don't have any timeouts. Um, you know, there's only so few times, sometimes the ball's on defense. Like when you're getting seen club, you're trying to get seen by the college coaches. You want to play at the next level. So my high school club team, I want my girls to pressure out far, show their athleticism, make something happen, you know, so not sit back and just basically not do anything. And I also think my club team's, I've been lucky, have been primarily athletic and pretty fast girls. So like I'm trying to use it to our advantage of getting out there, being on our toes and creating things. So almost trying to rush the other team um, and surprise them a little bit and, you know, not running and creating slides when they're not necessary, but just being out there farther than other teams. Um, and then for my high school team, I did a little bit of both. I have the zone. I have a man to man. I have times where I'm pressuring out beyond the 12. Sometimes where, like you said, I'm using the clock and creating a longer possession and I might step back. Um, and regarding switching and staying with the picks, I basically just try and tell them to communicate and be on the exact same page. I don't want to say you always have to stay. Or you always have to switch. Cause then I think my attackers last year would be like, Oh, they're always switching. So they would know exactly what to do all the time. So I kind of just make it a little bit more that they have ownership to decide, but as long as they're on the same page. Do you actually intentionally make sure that they play it both ways in practice? In practice, when we do, I do 3v3 with the feeder a lot. I'll be like, can you switch all the time right now just to get them going through something or you're going to fight through the pick all the time right now. And then at the end, like when we do seven on seven, I'll always say you're not constrained to doing it one way or the other, as long as you're on the same page, because we won't really know what the other team's doing. Right. And unless one team always switches and you're watching their film and you're like, Hey, this team always is switching. It'll help our scout. Love it. So the, so generally for, for club, it's more about showcasing. So you're just going to pressure and don't worry about it. Just let your athletes be athletes and it should yeah. work well. Main concepts, obviously have the second slide, third slide, you're rotating, but you know, you're playing a little bit of high pressure. But for high school, it's about winning games. And so you're going to play, you might play zone, you might face guard somebody, you might do different things in order to be able Mm -hmm. to, and that's a, it is an important nuance that the winning, you know, I don't think you, you want to win every time you're out there, but in club, you're not losing sleep over losing as long as your team's playing as a team and playing hard, right? My parents might be losing sleep, but I'm not losing sleep. (laughs) (laughs) um but no I mean never has a college coach come up to me and said wow great win after a club game (laughs) um they don't really care who I'm playing they just want to know you know the best athletes on the field or who was the smartest or who's making great plays and you know who's making great stops in the cage so um yeah so it's two totally different kind of mindsets of coaching but at the end of the day I'm trying to create them to become smarter players you know become you know create the best advantage for them to show well to create high opportunity shots to you know become good passers to 
so that they can go in any situation. And I've said this to you before, like we can't call a set micromanaged play for one of my club players to go to a showcase and they can be like, Oh, I'm going to call star. Like, no, you need to become a very good IQ lacrosse player that knows like, all right, they just, you know, they're switching. I should slip this pick. And if you're not used in that showcase, it's okay. Just keep doing the correct things and the correct actions and keep moving. Cause most college coaches are going to see what you're doing, even if you didn't necessarily get the goal or, or, you know, make the correct pass. You're they're seeing how smart you are. Love it. Let's switch gears and talk a little bit about recruiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. What about juniors? If you're a junior in high school right now and you're uncommitted, what do you, mm-hmm. what, where should their heads be at? What should you, what's your advice to these players? Yeah. Don't freak out as you probably already are because there's been so many people that have committed. Um, I say it all the time. I've had at least one or two kids each um, time period that you're in commit in that summer, like the your next summer. So they worked really hard. They they're determined they're going to get better. They focus every day on getting better. And, you know, so that the next time those colleges that they're trying to get in front of are like, wow, that, that player got better. I like, what I'm seeing now, where if you're just constantly trying to go to a different camp clinic a million times, you're not actually doing the steps to get better. You're, you're going to be in the same boat of why you're not committed to start with. Um, you also need an advocate. You need an advocate to help you like, Hey, let's go to the right places after we're getting better, knowing that they might still have a spot for you, knowing that they're going to give you a look, knowing that they're going to give you a chance. Um, that part's huge where I think sometimes people still are chasing schools that might be done. They have no slots whatsoever. So just make sure you have that advocate for you to know, like if that school is actually willing to take one more kid or not. Um, so that's really important, but don't freak out. There's still a lot of schools that have one or two spots or, you know, might take one more, um, kid last minute if they work hard enough to fit what they need. Um, so there's a lot of opportunities for you in that regard. Sometimes they're, sometimes people are done because they have a real limitation on their spots. But honestly, rosters are very fluid. Mm-hmm. The transfer portal with COVID, with the fact that people don't pan out, they get injured, they transfer. I mean, they just leave. There's just, yeah. you know, what it's done now is not going to be done in May when they realize they, they need a couple more players. And so, if you're that much better, they're going to take the, the good exactly. kid. That's it. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the fundamental of the whole thing. Yeah. Be, be good enough. Yeah. Which, which kind of comes back to how are you getting good enough, which we spent a lot of this podcast talking about. It's not going to happen on the wall. If it happened on the wall, everybody would be good enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he, yeah. The wall is going to transform you into being a great decision maker and, and a creative player. All right. So let's, um, let's talk about 25s. Yeah. 25s. It's exciting right now. You got, you got nothing to lose. Like I said, it's a great first fall. Don't stress if you didn't have your best games or you lost a couple of games, like I just said. Um, it's not a huge deal. You're just getting out there, getting used to being in front of these coaches. And the same thing, you got to get better. You got to be in situations to make yourself get better, to be an impact player, I think, for your high school team is really important. Um, so I think that's a goal. That's what I sent to my club, club girls, is make it a goal to become – better to be an impact varsity player don't make it a goal to go as many camps and clinics as you possibly can right now like you need to get better um 
And then you should pick one or two camps to go to, to get some exposure. But the main focus is getting better because the summer is going to be your most important time. So I think you have a long period of time right now. What is it? Descent, almost December 1st up until, you know, beginning of June, a great chunk of time to get better, get in situations to play with, you know, great players, pick up games, all those type of things to get great film so that you can learn, make a great highlight film. And then by June, you're ready to go. Cause you know, then June, July are the times where it really matters. Okay. How about if you're a, a 2026 right now, you're a, you're a freshman. Uh, I would say just really focus on getting better. You can go to a camp or two if you want to start, but really just try and get out there, you know, make it, hopefully you can be on your varsity team. Um, but watch film, play pickup games, do things to get you in the best position to be, you know, hopefully have the opportunity to be on your varsity team, but you might not. And if you're not and you're on JV, crush it on JV that you might get pulled up later on at the end of the season. Um, I think do whatever you can to just learn and take it all in from the older kids that you're going to be now playing with, with your high school team. Um, you're going to be in, you know, more pressure situations when you do go to camps and clinics, college coaches are going to be watching and just have fun. I really feel like next summer for the 26 is, is like playing with house money because you don't really have to do a million things. You don't. Because coaches aren't even going to be looking at you. They're not. I okay. only thing I say is like get it gets you comfortable in that situation. Sure. You do some you of know? it. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with having people know who you are, you know, like hey, that girl, she's good. But, but they'll know who you are with those all-star teams like American Select and that stuff. So there's other ways with those teams so that you can focus on those like during the week times of pickup games, like getting better and really just take advantaging taking advantage of your game because you don't have as much of that downtime the next summer you will be at more camps and clinics exactly and, and, and i mean my daughter's now a freshman in college but when she was a freshman in high school we did three events and we just played pickup all summer we lived in canada she came across and we played pickup every day and um you know we just kind of kept that model of like hey let's control what we can control which basically is getting better and being smart about it not all not not all activities are, are are equal as far as getting you better. But then the other things is, like you said, um, having good advocates that can help you and advise you on what to do, what not to do, and and hopefully go to bat for you if if, if anyone asks. Yeah, um, it's overwhelming. There's a million camps, clinics, events. So just having that person or someone to be like, hey, should I do this? Should I not? And make sure you take a break. I've said this a million times. Like I've had athletes sign up constantly and then they're playing in their games that matter and they're like 60 percent because they just went to four camps and they never took a break and they didn't even come to practice because they went to a million camps so it's like we're not playing as a team because we're not at practice and blah 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 but yeah just i think you know look at the big picture and think about the things that matter for when you are going to be on those platforms to have a lot of exposure that you're playing at your best it's so true there's so many um 2025s that are going to sign up for way too many things I want you to think about this. If if you ran like a 4.840 yard dash and you were and then you and then you ran it at 95%, it's a 5.0440. It's a huge difference. Huge. Huge yeah. difference. And that's 95%. And most people like would think, well, you know, 95% is pretty good. It's not that good when you're talking about 
the margin of getting recruited. Like and some of those camps are six hours of playing nonstop, especially if you're a midi. Like you need to take at least one or two days off. Like you do just to reset your body. And you know what I mean? I get, and not all of them are as hard, but a lot of those camps are, are nonstop running. Honestly, it makes it almost impossible to, to actually ever get faster. You know, yeah. is somebody we work with, with our JM3 athlete program. If you don't know who he is, look him up, feed the cats is the name of his business. He's an absolute brilliant track coach that develops athletes. The more homework you do on him, the more you'll be blown away, but he works with our athletes. Our athletes rarely have time. Um, meaning they're not rested enough to, you cannot get faster if you're not fresh and kids mm -hmm. are almost never fresh. Yeah, I think especially girls, and I, we've talked about this a bunch, like I, you know, old school us would just like work so hard, run so hard and be fit, but not faster. And there's a huge difference. There is. Being mm -hmm. fit, what does that even mean? You know, being fast, being faster, that, that'll move the needle. If you are significantly faster from, you know, now till June, think you're going to be a better prospect? Yes. No doubt. Just like learning how to be a better lacrosse player. Um, well, Colleen, this was um, a total blast. Awesome. Per usual. Revenant. To get my first guest lined up. Yeah. I love we'll it. We'll get a good little guest list coming for you guys soon. And we have a big event in two weeks with like 20 plus colleges down at Charleston's finest. So I'll get one of them lined up. Maybe I'll even do it in person down there during the break. Live. Yeah, live. live. <laughs> I love it. And so um, for everybody out here, um, if you want to um, get more information on all the things we're talking about, for one thing, you could just subscribe to, to the, to the uh, lacrosse weekend blog that um, Colleen contributes to. And it really, if you, if you go through those blogs, you'll find all the information that we're talking about um, over the course of time. Um, if you go to jam3blog.com, you could find it there. It's called a lacrosse weekend. Obviously the podcasts have a tons of information. Um, and our coaches, our women's coaches training program, we're ramping it up. We have awesome content. We have another virtual lacrosse summit coming up in January with tons of great presenters. Um, and then during the course of the year, Colleen's going to be doing office hours with coaches to sort of talk about and help problem solve what they're working on and what they're doing on zoom calls, which will be really cool. And then lastly, if you have a, if you have kids and you want to know more information about, you know, what we do with our JM3 athletes, you can reach out to Colleen at Colleen at JM3sports.com. Um, so uh, anyways, Colleen, I'll let you get back to uh, baby Gavin. Thank you. And, Appreciate uh, it. Well-timed podcast. He was on his best behavior. <laughs> very good boy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, we'll talk soon. Sounds good. Thanks. Bye. Bye. See ya.